0: Welcome to Growth, episode number 11, recapping Shopify Reunite.
1: So I was watching the um, the Shopify Reunite event yesterday. Okay, how was that, by the way? Because I have that kind of time. It was was okay, I think. (laughs) Just okay. A lot of these live events turned web streams generally aren't super engaging and this was probably no, no different like i it's as as flashly flashy as they want to make it
0: it's like watching a youtube video
1: it's a youtube video of a zoom meeting that i can't run at
0: two times speed
1: so i'm just like annoyed the whole time oh yeah exactly so this was you know textbook that but okay they did bring up a couple of interesting things that I thought was... You know, I, I think we we could at least briefly discuss here, because we've touched on various topics like it before. Okay. Um, the first one I think you would be most interested in is they're opening up the Shopify Fulfillment Network. No to, way. To more really? individuals. Yeah, they're, nice. they're accepting applications again. Okay. And for those who aren't familiar... The Shopify fulfillment network is essentially FBA for Shopify stores.
0: They're basically like a a, a bolted on 3PL for Shopify, which by the way, I'm going to bring it up because now it's, it's relative. So last week's issue of AMZ weekly, um, have you ever read the blog strategery?
1: It's uh stratechery
0: that it is. I always say it wrong. Stratechery, amazing site, but they wrote a, they wrote a blog post on like the anti amazon like mm-hmm. gang or whatever i forget what it's called is it a great read but they're saying that amazon's true competitor right now interestingly enough is shopify which yeah, makes a think. lot of sense the way they break it down and i was like i never considered that but now it makes so much sense
1: yeah i mean they're not competitors in that you don't go to shopify to buy a thing that shopify is selling it's shopify maintains this massive massive network yeah, of e-commerce stores and businesses that collectively can rival amazon's presence
0: yeah like they are like they are the platform it's beautiful
1: it's beautiful i've been setting up a shopify store myself and it's it's a lot easier than anything else i've set up e-commerce yeah. related like it's it, it can be as as complicated or as simple as you want but what's fascinating here is that, like, they're they're essentially like exactly replicating the concept of FBA, Amazon FBA, but for Shopify stores. Like, they have they have the warehouses with inventory planning and placement. They have robots, right? I believe uh, they bought Six River Systems a little while back. Okay, so they they have it all, right? I love ship directly to customers. You know, fixed costs. Like, it's all it's all really? there.
0: Is it distributed? I would imagine it would have to be at yeah. least regionally. Oh yeah. But yeah. over time that would have to expand.
1: Yeah. No, they do they do the same thing that Amazon does where they you know Amazon, you know, moves things out to various locations to be right. as close to the Based your off customer demand. demand. Yeah. Right. So and they, they give you inventory planning. You know, you have X days left based on this volume and this location, send some more things. And, really? Oh yeah. No, it's, Oh.
0: See, but here's what's interesting. Amazon doesn't really do that. I mean, they kind of forecast, but let's be honest, it doesn't work. (laughs) The
1: forecasts are terrible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like it it doesn't. That's why third party platforms exist for forecasting and people pay a thousand dollars a month for like accurate forecasting. Yeah. But the fact that Shopify has that built in is a
1: huge,
0: huge value add, in my opinion.
1: With Shopify being, I would argue, a lot more agile and flexible than Amazon is. Because Amazon's basically a large behemoth at this point, like they're going to move yeah. at the speed of massive corporation. Shopify has the ability to to move a lot quicker and innovate in these kinds of areas. Maybe, maybe we see Amazon respond to this in some helpful way. But I mean, if but they you, do, I, I mean that's I, I a hard
0: response. I mean, you're talking like basically a full rebuild of Amazon. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, not going to happen. Which um, arguably should
1: happen, but.
0: It should, but, but here's the, I think there is a Delta here, right? So I think Shopify and Amazon, although they compete, they do compete in a different way. And I think that these serve, I think they serve the, the, the consumer and the consumer being the, the businesses right now, slightly different, right? So I think Amazon's great for starting a company, right? You're doing retail arbitrage. Awesome. You can get started low barrier to entry, not expensive, got you covered. I think it's a great platform to launch a brand on. However, it is still a platform risk. And that's something to keep in mind that a lot of people don't want to talk about. You build a seven-figure, even a six-figure private label brand on on Amazon. Great, but nine times out of ten, when you talk to somebody, like, how did you expand past that? They went off-platform. So it's a great place to get traction because you don't have to build the demand. The demand is built in. So I think, I think it's a platform that you can launch things on very well, but I think to truly build a brand, a actual brand, you got to own your own domains. You know what I mean? You got to own your own stuff. You got to be controlling your sales because realistically in the early days, it's like the, the, the difference between wanting a variable and a fixed cost, right? In the early days, you want a variable cost because the total is less. The per unit is higher. But you have more control over your cash flow. That's awesome. But then at a certain point, you kind of want to flip that over, right? So you being able to control your logistics, in my opinion, becomes very important at scale. Getting started doesn't matter. You don't even need to think about it because you don't have, You don't have any cash. You have hardly any human capacity. You have no employees. You need everything outsourced built into the platform. But when you get past that phase, now it's a different discussion. And so I think... I think they could work together in different segments or phases of a business, like a physical products business. Um, I mean, you could do both. You see people do both though, right? You see people who, who do start a physical products brand, not on Amazon. They just go straight to Shopify and they build the, the demand themselves. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there, but let's go ahead and highlight the assumption that I'm making that every brand that launches on Amazon is actually a private label it's white label and it's garbage. (laughs) I like when people are like, oh, I have private label brands. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't build a brand. You just like slapped a new name on like the same product that 30 other people have. I'm sorry, you don't have a brand. So I think it's important to like make a distinction and define what what we mean by brand. What I mean by brand is building an actual brand where you have multiple SKUs under that brand. So I think it's different, right? I think it's slightly different.
1: That that's something I've been I've been thinking a lot about spending a lot of time with because I am building you know a brand of my own that is an actual branded product with a unique identity and packaging, and you know I'm starting it on Shopify because that's the that's that's the end goal right the the a self sustaining independent operation, but I I still haven't forgotten about Amazon and the the built in audience that that brings. You know, because it's traction that you can get early on, right, right. Because a lot of people just think I'm going to go to Amazon and look for my product. Like Amazon, you know, in that in that article, I believe they said it in this article. I might be entirely making this up, but Amazon is getting closer to a search engine versus a a place to buy stuff. Which you know? so
0: let's highlight that. So I argue all the time with Amazon sellers when they're like. No, Amazon's a retailer. No, they're not. <laughs> do they sell things sometimes? Of course they do. Do they own their own private label brands? Of course they do. They're a software company, first and foremost. Let's let's not forget, they are a software company. That is how they make their money. But that article highlighting the fact that you go there similar to how you go to YouTube to find things is very interesting. So a lot of, in that blog post highlighted this too, is like, okay, well, what happens when Google... Basically make some changes, which they've already alluded to the fact that they're doing to mimic the search function functionality of Amazon, but be able to integrate which they're doing with Shopify store specifically. So now it's a very light in light, meaning operationally speaking operation, right? So, so Google super light. Yeah, they're, they're a large company, but this specific operation doesn't require that many humans outside of engineers they integrate with Shopify specifically. Why do we need Amazon? So it it still gives you the same functionality as the end consumer, which is I'm looking for a thing and I buy the thing, but I buy it from a trusted source that could switch over, right? It could be, Hey, this is a Shopify site. We got you covered. Awesome. It's verified. Now this whole Shopify competes with Amazon makes a lot of sense. And so does that mean that Amazon's now gonna potentially transition to be more like that? I don't know. It would make sense, right? Operationally, cash flow wise it makes a lot of sense. Um, because you've seen them over the years, if you look at the data, right? Previously, they still sold themselves the large, or the majority of the inventory. The, the, the listings on Amazon, they did the majority. That's been transitioning over. And it makes sense. The ROI that they get from purchasing, inventory and selling it is negligible in comparison to the 15% fee that they charge you for selling, which they did nothing for, by the way, that scales infinitely versus them having to consistently buy and resell and all that jazz. Um, And in comparison to the fact that they can go buy a company through, you know, do an M&A and then have a massive ROI on that. So from an opportunity cost standpoint, they're already getting away from actually facilitating the logistical transaction of we bought it as Amazon and we're going to sell it to you, the consumer. And it's more like we're just going to facilitate the transaction period end of discussion. What that looks like, I'm not sure.
1: I think Amazon still has quite a ways to go in that regard. If they if they are drifting, let's say in this hypothetical scenario, they are drifting towards more of a Shopify model. They still have a massive hurdle to climb that looks like two things one comparing the the fees the costs to operate a shopify store compared to operating on the amazon platform right it's no competition shopify is 30 bucks you don't have to pay them 15% per sale minimum right, right? like that's number one and number two amazon still has the final say on everything right yeah. As if you're if you're operating your own business on Shopify, right? Like you're the one making the executive decisions about things like returns and customer yeah. service and pricing and this and that and the other thing, right? As it stands right now, Amazon kind of just does what they want, and you have to hope you can please the Amazon gods. If you have a problem, you know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that that in comparison makes Amazon thicker so to speak <laughs> for lack of a better term than shopify and when you were saying earlier shopify is a little bit more nimble that's what we're referring to right is the fact that if you're familiar with with the the company segment um in the tech space like they are the plumbing quote unquote of of the internet like it's a beautiful methodology and it makes so much sense where they're like listen like it's just data like that's all like we just manage your data we route it like they don't need To sit on top of all of that. They're like, no, everybody wants to sit on top of data. Why don't we sit beneath or just be the data stream? And then whatever you want to do, we don't care. Because what ends up happening is Shopify goes the route that they're going now, which they've been, they don't need people on the legal side to be like, oh, now we got to change this 15% to a 12% and blah, blah, blah. They don't have to waste their time on any of the bureaucratic crap. They just say, hey, here's how we work. (laughs) You're like, awesome. Easy, straightforward, um, and beautiful. Platform risk is is certainly a thing, but when you're a platform, you can build a network effect, right? So, because they have the app ecosystem, developers are building businesses on top of Shopify, helping Shopify store owners. So, that demand is going to consistently increase throughout time, but you have people that are solving problems there. So, over time, it gets to a critical threshold where the thing you couldn't do on Shopify, which is why you couldn't go with Shopify, is now solved. And Shopify didn't have to solve it. They're literally saying, hey, guys, here's our API. Go solve all the problems that we just don't have the capacity to do. So again, they don't have to inflate their human capacity. They can just distribute that, and it doesn't cost them anything. It's right.
1: great. Like, look at, look at all of the... Let's, let's have a small thought exercise here, listeners. For those who have Amazon storefronts, have Amazon Seller Central accounts... I would like you to think of one feature of that operation that you like. I'll wait.
0: Dot, dot, dot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, there's... it, it, It all works, but I... I would be hard pressed to find someone that said, "Man, I really like the way Seller Central does this or does this thing." Right? Whereas yeah. with Shopify, since they do very little of it, like a Shopify store by itself does very little. It it, it presents products, it consumes payment in payment money information and orders, and lets you track their fulfillment mm-hmm. like manually. Basically, it, it's it, it's a very simple object by itself. Yeah. The Shopify App Store has hundreds thousands probably it's it's insane the 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 amount of bolt-on flexibility additional functionality you can add to that store is nearly limitless and the fact that there's more than one option for just about everything think reviews yeah think customer communication loyalty programs fulfillment like you name it right the fact or you that can you build can, it yourself or you can build it yourself. If you're Dylan, you'll build it yourself. For the rest of us, actually, I mean, I mean, maybe you're I literally build an build engineer, like and I'm mind. not. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't make that statement. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would at least think about building it myself, right? I, I, I'll give you that. But f- as far as like, like barrier for entry, the amount of friction required to make all of that functionality happen in a way that you want, the way that suits your business it's like it's next to none right because if 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 one particular tool doesn't quite fit your needs or the pricing isn't quite right we'll find another right like you have that option and it's 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 beautiful now one thing one thing that's interesting we're talking about how you know shopify is more of just a an enabler of flexible e-commerce one thing that they're they've also announced um, I guess this was last month, April 28th, they announced their shop app, which it seems like we're running out of names here. The Shopify shop app. It's more or less an aggregator of brands on Shopify, which is kind of like the inverse of yeah. what we're talking about here. Like they're right. heading, they're drifting closer to Amazon as Amazon's drifting closer to it Shopify. more like
0: Jet for some reason to me. I don't know kind why, of it does, <laughs> which is
1: which is interesting because Jet's closing down. But yeah, anyways, they just got closed. <laughs> yeah, um, or at least declared. Which which is it, it's fascinating to see because Shopify built up its massive customer base without any kind of this aggregation at all, right? Yeah. Google doing something now. Facebook is supposedly doing something as well to tie in Shopify stores with a social network, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's fascinating to see that there's. Actually at least they think that there's actually demand for this. I don't know. I haven't downloaded it.
0: I think there is. Um, I think the strategy makes sense in the sequence of which they have approached it. Right? So they have the supply side. Done, not a problem. You build the demand side, which is how that pretty much works with Shopify, right? But what happens when they can build out the demand side to compete with Amazon.com they don't have to do the the inflation of SKUs over time. That's already done. So if they do that correctly, they just overtake Amazon. That's how that, I mean, not like in terms of like, you know, they're going to beat Amazon, but they would be on track to do so because now they can actually compete. So I think it could work. I think building that demand within the shop itself is going to be difficult, but it's a good value add, right? So let's say you get it high enough. um, It's a beautiful play where they, they can say, hey, um, one of the built-in plugins—that's a you know premium feature or whatever—is we'll take your top performing SKU and immediately connect it to our shop, and then we'll just increase your volume. Would you pay thirty bucks a month for that? If if you can make it performance based, even hey, we'll take fifteen percent. Here's where Amazon comes back in. We'll take fifteen percent of just what we bring you as a referral fee. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Let's do it, right? Because you're still making more money in aggregate. So it could make sense. It comes down to the execution though, like everything, right? <laughs> like it's a great idea, but like how do you execute on that and how do you make that work? I don't know. Uh, I don't like the fact that it's an app. I, I know that a lot of people are shopping more on mobile. Um, it just, it sounds kind of weird to me, I guess.
1: what What's interesting is that, you know, in these in these times, especially... It, it, it appears, anyways, that that folks are are trying to focus more on their local local shops, their local businesses, right? And the Shopify shop app, I'll go ahead, and say that a few times fast, um, has like a local filtering component to it, so you can pick out brands that are local to you and order from them, and maybe pick up from them or have locally delivered, etc. Right. I mean, good luck trying to find a local brand on Amazon and have it <laughs> that's, that's locally good point. sourced yeah. for you, right? Like even like maybe local in the Amazon case is that it comes from your nearest warehouse if you're lucky, right? You know, perhaps. But with delivery times for things being incredibly arbitrary right now, I mean, good luck trying to, you know. Well, let,
0: let's zoom way. out here too. So look at where food's going. So there there exists now, they're called ghost kitchens. So there are, there are kitchens, quote unquote, where there's no storefront. It's in a warehouse. They only exist to make food incredibly efficient for mobile deliveries, right? So this is starting to pick up because it's cheaper, right? It's cheaper per square foot to have a warehouse than it is to have retail storefront. You don't need all the the fancy accru- accoutrements, if I'm saying that correctly, Like, you just don't...
1: Accoutrements, right? I can't even say it. I don't know. I think that's how you say it. Accoutrements?
0: Accoutrements. There we go. That sounds fancier. But if you pair that with Dylan's obsession with robots, you're starting to see people already build, you know, robots that can do certain aspects of cooking. Okay, so if we have a warehouse, it's super cheap. We have the space. We don't have to have such a confined setup. Um, you're, You're getting to this point where... And we've kind of been there, but this is like a new level for like Amazon really led this, in my opinion, to give them some, some credit is like this whole idea of invisible logistics, right? Like it's, it's interesting. It's, it's now they've always been there. Yeah. It's still physical products moving. They're not invisible, but like invisible in the sense of you do something so simple as a consumer. So many other things happen on the back end, so to speak, but you know, nothing about it. Previously, it was pretty straightforward, but these things are changing, right? Distribution is changing to where it's more distributed. Like any network that you would build, the distribution of that network matters. How many nodes are on this network matters in terms of speed, right? So previously, regional. Nice. Amazon, or not not Amazon, but back in the day, Walmart really led this, right? They had regional distribution centers, and then they started to make this a step further. Eventually, they have their own satellite for better data feeds. They... Oddly enough, Walmart led in the retail space when it came to data, which is the funniest thing to me. I I would never have guessed that. Did not know they have a satellite, but they totally do. But we're taking that a step further and we're saying, great, it's less about regional. It's more like, is it in your city, right? Every city realistically should have its own distribution channels. And if you can use algorithms to then dictate like Amazon does, what that distribution of physical products should be if you can make that an optimal outcome to you the end consumer you just pressed a button and it arrived an hour later but what you didn't have to consider is everything i just said that's where it, it feels you know the whole like auto magical right like that's the feeling you want you and we're we were talking about this with like um you know sass like you want the front end so if you, have you ever heard of superhuman the email
1: yeah i hate it okay
0: <laughs> Have you used it? <laughs> Why do you hate it? Just I, it costs I used money? it.
1: I used it very briefly, and yet it, two major problems that I had: one, it's a little pricier than I feel like the value it was providing me. Okay. That's and fair. two, the the uh, kind of a subversive email tracking that they were doing for a while seemed ah. really dirty for me, and I'm like, no, nah, I can't. I'll yeah, they're trying to my get my user behavior, client. right? For sure.
0: But but the, and so I have not used them, but I've been following them for a while. I like the way that they approach their tech, though. I will say that, and what I mean by that is. They looked at the the like the speed of which any interaction happens, right so the the guy who invented Gmail at Google had had a pretty standard like, this is the metric," and he wanted, I believe it was 100 milliseconds. He's like, "At a hundred milliseconds when something happens within that time frame, it feels instant to a human super humans, like that's awesome. That was our benchmark, but now we want to do 30 milliseconds because that's the frame rate for Chrome. Like if you, if you go to 15, it's literally irrelevant. Like Chrome can't keep up. I say all that to say, like when you optimize the front end, so the front end being like what the user, the the customer, the consumer feels, and it feels instant and it feels automagical. They don't understand the fact that like, all you really did was cue something to happen on the back end, And then you just forced a front end change. Right? So all this stuff is happening on the back end but to the person who's consuming that that thing that serves that product it feels perfect it feels instant it's like how is this possible like it, that's what you want and so yeah it's easy to do that with saas it's easy to do that with code how do you do that with physical products and i think we're taking that same methodology and we're saying great let's do it here let's do it with logistics um that's really cool. It's oddly, I never thought I would geek out over logistics in my entire life, but like, it's really cool the way that we're approaching it. Because if you think about it, what's changed in the last 50 years for logistics? Nothing. Nothing has really changed, right? Like the whole concept of a fully autonomous supply chain should exist. And by the way, I was at a bookstore a used bookstore um, this past weekend, and I found a book from the eighties that Bill Gates wrote. Um, and <laughs> The whole book, he was arguing like everything should be automated. Everything should be standardized for, for, you know, basic tech, right? Like what we aim for now, right? If it's standardized, we can transact it. We can make it automated. We can streamline. And it's like, dude, he was writing about this stuff in the 80s. And the majority of tech that exists now doesn't do any of that. That's a problem. And logistics should be the first thing we should go for. If we can get efficiencies in logistics correct, Prices go down dramatically. We don't have long lead times, and if we're using like the Tesla Semi truck,
1: like costs dramatically go down, right? Right. I think for for logistics, the only real like massive improvement I can think of that's like actually in my mind been something that's helped, maybe you know beyond just short term, like overall, like it's it it's changed the logistics industry is the the concept of mapping a driver's route. So they spend the least amount of time waiting for a maneuver, you know, whether it's a left turn at a, a red light or, I guess, if you're in uh, the UK, it's a right turn, you know, that kind of thing, right? Like you have to wait for traffic to move yeah. before you can make U- your UPS maneuver. UPS decided
0: right? that truck should always turn right because it's the most optimum route. Like that's it. Like that's that's right. the whole shebang. In right. 50 I think fifty years, there was
1: even there was even a, like an old MythBusters episode about that from many years ago now, where they actually tried like they checked into like the validity of that that line of thinking and in, in some scenarios, if I'm remembering this correctly, this is probably a good ten years ago now. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. Um in a lot of scenarios it did actually help. Because yeah, if it there works is if there was time. a lot of traffic, right. It's yeah, it's not like you're gonna save nine minutes every hour. Like it's it's like you're gonna save six seconds every two minutes. But in
0: aggregate, when you're doing 5 million miles a day, that cost (laughs) is like 10 billion. And like you can do the same thing with with mazes, I found out. like If you just put your right arm out and you touch the wall and you never take your right arm off the wall, I think it's like 80% of mazes are subconsciously designed for that. And so you can get out. It's like the optimum algorithm, so to speak, right? If you just do that and you always trace it, you will get out. Huh. I've never... I've never heard that. It's not 100%, but it's 80%, right? So, okay, I can work with that. Drop me in any maze, I'll figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense though, because eventually, like, you're gonna, you're gonna make enough rotations where you're essentially going to trace, like, the effective outer edge that yep. doesn't include all of the dead ends, right? right. Um, it, might, it might be the most convoluted way of getting out of a maze, but it's but... the most simple. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's simple in that it requires the least amount of thinking, the least amount of planning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the point, right? Like, I think that's important too, is like,
0: I don't think like speed when it comes to efficiency. Yeah, for sure. But when it comes to like logistics, um, especially like when you're looking at like the optimum outcome for logistics, there's still APIs that don't exist. Like we were talking about this the other day. It's like, you know, yeah, UPS and USPS and FedEx, they have APIs that you can tag into. They're not great, but you can do it, right? So if you, if you want to track things like at scale, you can do it. But what about all the LTL sh- um, shippers? Some have APIs, others don't. Realistically, there should be one single API for all of tracking because now it's a standardized protocol. Now, whatever I am building, standard, best practice, done like why 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 has this not happened <laughs> like, i don't get it so like we need a segment for for logistics that's pretty much where i'm getting at like if we could do something like that that would make the world a little bit better and i'm kind of over the whole like oh well the blockchain's gonna make logistics amazing it's like maybe or we could just have a standard api and not talk about fad tech at the moment Like, come on, like this is not, you don't even need new tech to make this super innovative. It's old tech. It's a basic API. I'm a script kitty. And I, I, I can wrangle an API in in a JSON file. Like, come on, dude,
1: Like it's not hard. It's it's the, the classic XKCD comic of there being 14 standards and somebody needs to come up with a standard that includes all the standards. So now there's 15 standards. Yes. I'll, I'll put that link in there too, for those who aren't familiar. That's
0: beautiful. I love it. And it's so true, right? Like, I mean, you, you have standards for tech. Right. IP is a standard. Like how, how you set your IP address automatically standard. Why is it automatic? Because there's a freaking standard and it's followed every single time. That's why everybody freaked out when IPv6 came out be like, Oh my God, like this is so different. Like it's great. Um, but I, I think, I think where Shopify to get back on track is going is, is getting us at least a step closer, right? With them getting into expanding the three PL, like arm of what they do. Um, you bring out a lot of competition, right? So in capitalistic economies, you want you want competition, which is why I always advocate for repricing below by a penny and the Amazon buybacks, because by the way, this is not a socialist <laughs> economy. Um, but my point is like, who's really competing from a 3PL at scale like Amazon? Yeah, you have shippers, but that's not 3PL, right? People are like, oh, DHL. It's like, okay, but that's not, that's not a 3PL. That's a shipping company. It's different. But Shopify could, right? Because they have the built-in demand for it. So they could roll it out pretty fast. Then what happens when you have a third company come in wanting to compete in the same area? That's more standardized to where all they do is 3PL, and then they hook into everybody's APIs. Now now it's a platform play, but not from a a SaaS standpoint, but from a a logistics standpoint. That's when shit gets real interesting.
1: So... Shopify is taking it even one step further here, and also shared some future plans on what they're calling Shopify Balance, which is their take on banking.
0: Are they doing like Net Thirty and stuff like that?
1: No, it's it's an actual bank account, so that's actually something different. So that's on my list too. Nice, Uh, but Shopify Balance is essentially, if I'm reading this correctly, I mean it's a bank account, right? Okay, you get a a fun Shopify branded card to swipe, right? You get virtual cards for all your virtual things too, if you'd like, but essentially allows new business owners who maybe haven't split their finances yet to do that in the lowest effort way possible. Nice. So they, if it's not obvious yet, their goal is to encompass the entire business operation with Shopify products, right? Like it's more or less what Amazon tries to do to some extent, but kind of fails in a lot of areas. Like I've seen, I've seen seller central polls where they've asked, you know, if you, if, if you had an Amazon branded business bank account and you got your deposits sooner, would that be appealing to you? Right? Like it's obvious that they're thinking about something like that. (coughs) But no one, given how little people trust Amazon as it stands right now, no one's going to trust them with their money, right? Yeah. Amazon already has the ability to withhold all of your funds, even if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, if you do something wrong, right? The last thing business owners are going to want is if Amazon deems you unworthy, they're going to lock out your bank account, do you know, like that's no, you, immediately... you want some
0: dislocation there. <laughs> between your funds i think it's smart because shopify really what they're doing is they're increasing the ltv of of their the people who pay them right the business owners so great they they roll this out let's say they get ten thousand people to have money in there guess what they get to do now because they're they're technically in banking they now get to loan that money out right based off the way the laws work so now they get to loan out a percentage of that
1: which is great because shopify capital another yet another product to keep people in the Shopify ecosystem. You've seen a trend here. Yeah. (laughs) If it's not obvious yet, there should be a trend here. Shopify capital crossed the $1 billion mark. Oh, wow. In, in loans given out, which is, I mean, it's fantastic, right? There's, there's literally, if they're not there yet, they will be soon. There will literally be no reason to go anywhere else to start a new e-commerce business at some point. Like that's, that appears to be Shopify's end goal. Like yeah. it's it's going to be a one stop shop. God, this how many times can we count how many times it said the word shop so far in this episode? Error, too many for all of the components that you need to start your business. Yeah, right. There are, there are a lot of Shopify store owners who are small operations that don't have extra capital, who maybe are underbanked or aren't banking properly at all. Right. You know, we're talking like sole proprietors, single single member LLCs, things like that, where this is, it's been the super early stages. Like all of these tools are designed for those people specifically to, to boost them up. Right. Yeah. All marketplaces like Amazon can do is just give them some eyeballs. Right. Like, and and then you, you pay them a fee for the privilege of getting one of those eyeballs to buy a thing from you. Right. Like there's, there, there aren't many tools, maybe Amazon lending if you're lucky enough to get one of those prompts i i I felt very blessed that i got that prompt for all of two weeks like there isn't a lot to really help you in that first i don't know maybe first three months first six months right yeah you sign up you're plopped into it you you're you're supposed to consume some information right how to how to sell how to list and all that stuff but then it's now what?
0: It's a pure sandbox, right? Like you just get thrown in. And you're like, great. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, great. We should have figured this out first, but, but I agree. I think, and if you look at SAS, like what, what you want to do ideally is look at the different phases your desired user could be in. And then how do you serve them in each of those phases? Most companies, when you get started, you can only serve in one phase, right? Cause it's an MVP. Like you're getting started. You, you can't build out this like end to end thing. But eventually you start to say, okay, well, some people are coming to us, but it's a little too soon for them to really like get ROI with us. Okay. How do we serve them then? It's a different solution. But if we can do that, here's what ends up happening from like a marketing standpoint, basically we can, we can now help you at this point. But once you get to the next point, which is our main primary, you know, kind of focus. Now it's an easy decision, right? There's no friction in you upgrading or moving to a new tier or whatever the, the, you know, solution looks like. Because you've already been with us, right? You're already a customer and you're like, now I'm a great fit for that, that, that segment. You're like, yeah, you are and on the high end, right? So if somebody outgrows you, you're like, great. How do we help people who are going to outgrow us? Cause they need, they have, you know, unique and different needs. Great. Let's segment those people and say, Hey, what, like, what really matters to you at this level? Cause I'm not going to make that assumption. I'm just going to ask you if we can find what those commonalities are. Now we can start approaching, you know, solving and creating solutions for them so that they don't outgrow us. They just grow further into us, if that makes sense. Um, and it sounds like that's pretty much what Shop- Shopify is doing, right? Like they have the wholesale section too, right? So guaranteed, they had people that were like, yo, I'm leaving because you guys can't do this. And they're like, mm, there's enough of you. Let's build it.
1: Some some two parts of real-time follow-up here. Uh, one, I downloaded the Shop app from the iOS App Store. And it looks like it's actually, the, it's it's Arrive. if you. Ever used arrive the the package tracking yes um, app uh, shopify acquired Arrive some time ago. it looks like they took the best parts of that, shoved it in here, and then added the marketplace component to it um, i was I pulled it up I was looking at some of the local you know stores around me and they're they legitimately are like they they're the the top one on the list is literally ten minutes from here, which is beautiful like that's if if I cared enough you know to go get some wine from a local winery literally 10 minutes away that's on shopify i could click the button and buy a thing and then second point of follow-up they're starting to roll out local delivery as an integration in your shopify store so if you if you do have a business and you do have local customers you can just go drop it off yourself right you don't have to shove it into the system yeah and wait any number of days unnecessarily right which is something that amazon Right. absolutely like prohibits. Like it is a very big punishment. If you try to locally deliver yourself yeah. potentially, you know, but,
0: but here's what's interesting. Like that's the most efficient optimum solution, right? Of course it's I've got the product. Why do I need to ship it to you to ship it to three other locations to get it back here to then ship to somebody who's 10 minutes away when mm-hmm. I can just take it straight there. Right. It's a straight line problem. Right. So I, I think the network effect for distribution after having he- heard you say that is that Shopify, if they do that correctly can offer better shipping without offering shipping. <laughs> and okay, they can do it themselves, that's awesome. But what happens when they now integrate with a Uber Eats or with a Grubhub? Now you don't so by the way, you're a small business, but you want this distribution channel locally. Now you don't need to build it. The it's already there, right? There's already a system for that. So we connect the APIs, great, and Uber Eats driver just grabs it and takes it to you. White glove, we're we're done. Like you pay a fee for that, of course. But still, like, I mean, you could upcharge that to the customer or you just eat it, right? Like, it, it depends on like what the, the math looks like economically on that. But but that's, what, that's where things are going, right? People keep building these interesting networks and distribution channels that you can just plug into. So you get to focus on getting really good at one area or just organizing that distribution and then plugging into the actual logistics networks that already exist that are good, right? Um, like local
1: restaurants don't have to build out a delivery team anymore grubhub done which there is there there is an argument that services like grubhub and uber eats etc are more expensive in some scenarios than having your own team it i've seen headlines passing by that talk about restaurants that are moving to their own delivery team because it's it's better for their bottom line to just have a few people on staff, you know, like the the pizza delivery model, right? Like for what what always I mentioned this to my wife a couple of weeks ago. What is fascinating to me is that when it comes to food delivery, places like Domino's, Pizza Hut, the classics, right the 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 brands you always saw on TV growing up as a kid, you know, with a thirty minute delivery and stuff like those were the only places I can recall that actually did deliver on demand like that. And they offered like 30 minute delivery windows, right? Like they, in that regard, it, it almost feels like they were ahead of their time and they were better than they are now. Right? Like I've never had Uber eats. Tell me your food will be here within 30 minutes or it's free. You know, like there's nothing of that sort. Like it's almost like the service they were offering back then even though it was more primitive in that you had to pick up a phone and tell somebody what you wanted?
0: Well, the dynamics are different, right? Because you have a Grubhub person who's a sole proprietor in that regard, who's trying to optimize their time. So they're trying to increase their hourly rate, right? Because it's performance-based, who is not just gonna grab the pizza and take it to you. No, they're gonna grab three pizzas and then round robin this entire thing. And they might not go to Domino's. They're gonna go to Domino's, then Pizza Hut, and then all the other ones so they're trying to optimize, which makes sense. I mean, if, so maybe that's a solution that needs to be built where like, you know, Uber eats or Grubhub for their, their, their people automatically says, great, here's the ones you're going to accept. This is the optimum route to, so like there's an algorithm which basically states like you can, you can lower the, the average wait time, right? So if I have a project that takes one day and then I have a second project that takes three days, if I do, the three day went first and then the one day went after, what's my average wait time? It's three and a half days. Because the person who only had a one-day project still had to wait four days. But if I do the one day day one, and then the three days between day two and uh day four, I actually lower my average wait time. Same projects, same time it took to do them, but I can lower my or yeah, I can increase my, my turnaround time, right? Um, or decrease it. Sorry, I can't think today. Decrease it, right? So you could theoretically use an algorithm like that for what they're doing. It's a little bit more complex than that, obviously, but but I. So yeah, I think it's different. Um, but it's like a to me, it screams a variable versus a fixed problem. I think when you're getting started and you can't afford to pay somebody hourly to to drive around and do all those things, great, you you jump into Grubhub. But eventually, yeah, it probably does make sense for you to to build your own team. But imagine building your own team and you don't have the demand. So this is something that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, it's technically cheaper. Great. But what happens when you don't use a Grubhub, which has the built-in demand, by the way, and your sales go down 60%. So now that person that you hired internally because you're now not on Grubhub, it doesn't matter. You just lost money. It's cheaper, but you lost money. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it all it all comes down to how how it's going to work for your business, right? Like if if Grubhub is going to take a third off of the top and, you know, keep other fees and things like that, then, you know, it it, it all depends on the math, right? Like every business is going to be different. Like some businesses aren't going to care. Some businesses are going to be grateful that they have the extra businesses. Yeah, some are going to fall in the middle and then they have to make a decision for themselves, you know, what their plan is going to be long term after all this, you know, shakes out. Now the the last the last point I'll bring up before we move on from local delivery is that the 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 Shopify local delivery app actually it's not an app it's built into Shopify app Shopify POS and Shopify mobile. Um, it creates an optimized delivery route for you. Oh, if beautiful! You're go fulfill beautiful. it yourself. Which is like that's like the UPS thing, right? Like it's and that that's why i say i think that that opera, the, the optimized delivery pathway that they came up with i think is single-handedly one of the best innovations in logistics because now that's like a default way of thinking right how do i get all of these things out to all of these people in the shortest the shortest path Right. What is, what does that look like? How do we, we factor in traffic and time of day and things like that? Like that's, I'm telling
0: you, like, I, I'm, I'm not an engineer, but, but on the conceptual side, I love this stuff. And like algorithms are something that I've been diving into heavily to the extent of, I have a caching system for books in my apartment. Like it's that bad. Um, and I, I use a last recently used algorithm. haha. Right. Like you don't need tech to do this stuff. Like, you know, obviously at scale, sure. But like, you should be thinking about this as a business owner, right? Like, what's the algorithm that you could deploy that would be a competitive advantage for you? I mean, you're launching a new brand. Most likely, there's there's bound to be some optimal solution for whatever problem you are looking to solve. It may be algorithmic. It may not be. And algorithmic, I'm not defining as just like the hardcore computer science algorithms. I'm like like sorting. Like like that, not that sorting is hardcore, but I just want to throw one out there as an example. But like but how you take out your trash right if you take out your trash the exact same way you are following an algorithm so if we can define it as such how you launch that brand how you add new skus you can and this comes back to sops right like your sop is the algorithm for a, for successfully achieving a single task how you launch a sku could be turned into an algorithm that you can now scale out because you can hand it to other people. You can, you can make it more efficient, right? You can say, we don't launch new SKUs unless we have X percentage or X number of people request this new variation of a coffee roast. Okay, cool. Done. Easy decision, right? So now what I've done is I've, I've algorithmically standardized my decision-making. I don't have to do this, which means I don't me- I don't mess up. I don't make gut decisions anymore. What's the data tell me to do. If the data tells me to launch another variation, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't, then I don't. It's pretty interesting, but a lot of people don't think or make decisions from that standpoint. They're, they're not making data driven decisions or even red teaming, right? So red teaming, if, if you're not familiar, like for the, for the listeners, for the listeners, if I can speak, um, you're taking an idea that you're super excited about and try to poke holes in it. This is, this is one of the benefits of having a business partner. Hey, I'm really into this and I know that. And I understand I have biases like like confirmation bias and all that stuff. Can you tell me where I'm wrong? Can you basically argue with me, you know, positively to tell me what I'm missing and what I'm being blind to, because I don't want to make a decision thinking it was great. And then in hindsight, be like, I was completely stupid. Somebody could have told me that, right? So you can build algorithms throughout your entire business, your entire life. And when you're operating from that standpoint, It's really interesting. Like it's really, really fun because things, at least from my personal experience, get easier. Mm -hmm. And I don't have have the decision fatigue. Everything is standardized as much as possible. We had a two-hour conversation the other day of like what laptops everybody should get in the company. Shouldn't have taken that long, but it did because I'm like, no, we're going to standardize this. We're going to think this through. And when we're done, we're never making this decision ever again.
1: So, the last, last bullet I had related to Shopify reunite was their announcement of installments, installment payments, which is interesting. I'm surprised. I, let me back up a little bit. I've seen installment payment options integrated through third parties, like a firm and, and things like that. So, it's not really new, but now it's built into Shop Pay which if you've shopped at any number of Shopify stores, you've probably seen the icon. It's your saved payment info that carries across Shopify stores. They're essentially just adding an installment payment option. They automatically charge your card every interval of time, no interest, no fees, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that is what it is. It's not really anything fancy. I don't think it's deserving of a ton of time, but it's still interesting. And it really reaffirms that Shopify is, their goal is to do have everything in their circle yeah, it makes sense. Point. I mean, there there are fees, by the way.
0: You're just not paying them. They're eating them is what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. Which makes sense because if you think about like the, the execution of growing that arm of the business, you make it free to increase the volume or the sample size of users using it. And then you slowly roll out charges and then you go, oh, by the way, it's 1% interest. It's still low, but like we're not covering the fee forever. Like they're not going to lose money forever, right? So like what a lot of SaaS companies I've been noticing – are using as a marketing channel is making something completely free. That is not, but they eat the fees for six months to a year until the volume, the network effect is so large. And the stickiness is so high that like, you're not going to leave them. Even if they start to charge you a, you know, appropriate amount of money for using a feature and then they roll it out. And so then what's interesting is you don't have to be like, Hey, you know, give us, like a firm, right? A firm doesn't charge interest. And I keep saying that. I'm like, no, they're they're having to float that. Let's be frank. They're floating it. But they get you to use it with zero friction. And you get comfortable with it. And you get in their ecosystem. And then eventually they go, hey, it's only one and a quarter percent interest rate. Now they're super profitable because they have 100,000 people that use it. And when they flip that switch, revenue immediately skyrocketed, or skyrockets. Um, it's a really cool strategy that's been playing out in the last few months that i've been seeing
1: Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly a firm i believe i could be wrong on this i it's been a while since i've looked this up but i believe they they charge the merchant a small amount for the privilege you know along the same lines as credit card processing sure right like it's there there's no free lunch right somebody is somebody's paying for it somewhere but for the merchant having a lower barrier for somebody in in terms of pricing, right? Like, think like your $1,000 suitcase, right? Imagine how many more people would theoretically buy that $1,000 suitcase if it was instead, what, $100 over 10 months.
0: Yeah, and so realistically, all you're really doing if you're eating the fees as a company is you're actually just offering a 5% a discount. If you do the math on it, five to 10% discount, but you're increasing the sales volume because now it's more appropriate for me to give you four interest payments or interest-free payments of 250 than a a, a grand upfront, right? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I did, I did not think about it that way, but that makes a ton of
1: sense. Like I don't, I don't, I don't remember where I saw that and I, I might be wrong, but I'm, I'd say 86% positive. That's one source of a firm's revenue, right? Like it's not, it's not free for the merchant. Like if, if it's free for the merchant and free for the customer, like that money is coming from somewhere. 100%. Right? And, and a firm, if they're, you know, using a debit card to source your money, right, they're paying the processing fees for that too. So now they're even farther behind the eight ball. So that money's coming from somewhere. But it's still neat to see that that's yet another option for, for people in the in the ecosystem, right? Like it's – I think it's great. I I love that Shop Pay is always available in a lot of these places. I just see the thing and I punch in my email address, it asks for a code that goes to my phone, and I punch no it friction, in and all yeah. my payment info just kind of fills in and I just move on, right? Like it's it, it's like it's the Shopify equivalent of Apple Pay essentially, which is beautiful.
0: Well, that's what a lot of companies are doing, right? You you take the friction for somebody doing something you want them to do and you lower it, if not drop it to zero. Or if ideally this like a game theory thing Make them feel great about doing it every single time. Classical conditioning, right? Like if if, we, if if Apple Pay can make you feel better every single time you use it, you will spend more money, which is what they want. That's so interesting to me from a behavioral standpoint. But yeah, I mean, this is something I think about a lot, right? Like, Like you should be in the friction management business, not only for like your business, but for yourself personally. Like the things you don't want to do increase the friction for you to do them. The things you want to do decrease the friction. So if you want to stop eating junk food, literally never have it in the house because the friction for you having to leave and then go get something and then decide on what you should what you should get, the friction's too high. You're probably gonna, you're not gonna go to zero, but like you're gonna dramatically eat less bad food. And if you want to eat healthier food, increase the volume of healthy food in the house, you've decreased the friction for doing so, right? So do that for the people you serve, the people who pay you, right? Make, make the things you want them to do very low friction, you could do it in your personal life too.
1: So I I say we ended on this particular note. I I received an email from one of the many Amazon gurus that are out there. Um, Guru being a, I don't know, a flexible. Pejorative term. Exactly. Um, They were admittedly a few months behind on their obligatory Amazon post-COVID email. But nevertheless, this is it right this this is the post covid 19 environment here right yeah it's it's not amazon's going to continue to be a big player that's there's there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they're going to continue to exist and right. be operating on the scale that they are right it's chiseling away at amazon is you know we're making a granite sculpture here right you can't just knock at it a few times and then it all falls apart it's going to take months you know years the scale is tremendous but this is what that looks like, right? Giving brands as many tools as possible, as many frictionless pathways as possible to establishing themselves, all of a sudden potentially makes Amazon less appealing. Yeah. Because you, you hop into Amazon and you immediately see how little control you have over anything. And maybe that's worth it, to get the the eyeballs. I don't know. I mean, if if anyone's ever looked at their advertising bill on Amazon lately, maybe it's not actually worth it. When, when we talk about a post-COVID e-commerce world, you know, it, it's not that Amazon's going to disappear. It's that there's going to be more choice now, more flexible choice for consumers. And some of them are just going to go back to the way things were right they're just going to keep buying on amazon it's going to be great and a lot of brands are going to start on amazon and it's going to be great i would argue a lot more brands are going to start elsewhere because they have ways to make their business happen get in front of eyeballs right the google shopping change right i never used google shopping because once i realized it was practically all ads i don't i don't really care anymore right now that it's You know, Google being the number one search engine on the planet, if I search for local coffee, you know, local fresh roasted coffee, for example, and I'm in my city and I see that there's a local coffee brand selling literally down the street from me, I can order from them and also potentially see that they're going to like deliver directly to me so it doesn't have to go through the system and take however many days that's going to take. Right all of a sudden there's an opportunity that previously never existed to me as a business owner
0: yeah it's compliant and
1: i didn't have to do i didn't have to jump through somebody else's hoops to make that happen right. and pay them an arguably exorbitant amount of money for that privilege That's that. I mean, I had more bullets, but I I'd see we're about to tick over an hour. But yeah, no worries.
0: We'll we'll cut it there. I think that was pretty good, though.
1: Yeah, I I hadn't planned on talking about Reunite. I just happened to see yesterday that Reunite was yesterday. So right. I I watched it and went through it, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm building a <laughs> Shopify store. This is all neat. Like I I like, this. I right, like right. it. Right, right. This is cool. I like the idea of potentially showing up as a as a local <laughs> brand in my area. Like that's that's pretty right. cool. I would. I would probably do the local delivery just, you know, because that's fascinating to me. And, yeah, you know, if I can make it a tight enough radius, it's not going to be too time consuming. So yeah, I, that's good that's, point. I didn't bring that up, but I think that's ultimately the key is setting your boundaries for that. Like, you're, I'm not going to run around the entire city. Like, there's, you know, the metro area is like 80 miles long. I'm not gonna do that, right?
0: Yeah, bump, <laughs> no chance. That. Sorry, yeah,
1: <laughs> sorry. I, I, I have a, I have a day job. I'd rather just do that. So.
0: Right.
1: So, cool. That was a good one. Yeah, man. Uh, stop button.